welcome to the Divine Renovation Podcast. My name is Dan O'Rourke, and along with me today is Father James Mellon. Hi, Father. Hi, Dan. Hi, everyone. And alongside me is Ron Huntley. Hi, Ron. Good day, guys. All right. So today we're talking about facilitating change, and we are so excited to talk to you about facilitating change and the importance of facilitating change. I, I, I'm, I'm emphasizing the facilitating. You, oh, I'm emphasizing facilitating because the topic's actually really important, right? We're not just talking about change. We're talking about sort of the process of change and making sure that change can happen in a way that's conducive to success. Does that make sense to you, Ron? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So what do, we, what do we mean when we talk about facilitating change? Define that for me. Well, I think sometimes we know change needs to happen. And, and I think sometimes we can even agree on the fact that change needs to happen. But how do we go about doing change that causes the least amount of problems or the least amount of kickback? Or the Be- least amount of pain. Yeah, absolutely. Because change is painful. Change is always difficult. Even when, well, we all know it. I got to lose weight. I got to stop this habit or that habit. It it, it always change. Change hurts. Mm-hmm. And and so the question is, how do, how do you minimize it? That's right. And so facilitating change is something that we've done really poorly around here. So we're really excited to talk about that <laughs> because actually this podcast is for ourselves so that we can listen back to it uh, next week or even next month. And if it's helpful for t- for you, then I think that's great. So it's, it's a good news, bad story, bad yeah. news story, yeah. right? I mean, like there has been a lot of change here at mm-hmm. St. Benedict Parish. I mean, the Divine Renovation, the book, I mean, talked about some of those changes. But one of the wonderful things about going through so much change is that you've got a lot of experience on how to do it well and how to really do it poorly. Mm-hmm. So why don't we... we, we <laughs> well, I just think it, it's such a key piece because, you know, people who read the book or contact us, they know things have to change, right? They, they, they know, you know, if you keep doing what we're doing, we're going to keep getting what we're getting. Someone once said, and I don't know who... Well, actually, I, did, I do know who it was who said it. I Googled it the other day, but he said something like, most organizations are perfectly structured to produce the results they're currently getting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so if you want different results, you've got to change what you're doing. And so we know the need for change. We can be convicted of the need for change. But if you don't get it right, you can blow the whole thing up. You can literally tear your parish in half. And we, we want to, through God's grace, lead change. And we want to bring as many people with us as possible. Because wouldn't you say people that... You know, get convicted of something, whether it's a conference, it's a book, it's talking to somebody, maybe it's through prayer, whatever it is. Once we get convicted that something needs to change, it, our intent is usually spectacular. Right? We, we usually are motivated by the best things possible. And so that I want to honor that. Mm. And yet sometimes we go about it in ways that provide produce incredibly poor results and impact and it's like wow where did i go wrong on that and i know i've done that so many times great intentions horrible impact and i think we have to learn from that and today we want to talk to you about some of those things maybe you'll be able to relate to them because i know since our the conference divine renovation uh, 16 what happened was a lot of people have gone back and started to put change into place. And I've heard some stories about some things that have been happening that, you know, are a little bit hurtful and probably not getting the results you're looking for. And this is a great time to talk about this. Yeah. So why don't we talk a little bit about some of the changes that uh, some of the personal experiences we've had here at St. Benedict Parish, sort of the, to begin to seed the water in terms of how change has mm-hmm. gone well and how it's gone perhaps poorly here at St. Benedict. Do you have any examples? Oh, we get tons. <laughs> <laughs> How long time do you have? <laughs> I, you know, I, I remember when we first came here, there was a custom that was from one of the previous parishes of of uh, once a month having a, a children's mass where young children would 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 do the readings. Uh, they would be involved in different ministries like you know ushering and helping with the collection and, and, and such. 
it was cute. It was it was it was it was very heartwarming, and um, but we had a sense uh, kind of driven by the fact that if we really are going to live out one of our values of strength based ministry, why are we doing it like this? Let's if we have children who are gifted in in music and and want to serve in these areas who are gifted readers because some of the kids were amazing they, they were they were they were among our best lectors <laughs> they read with conviction and clarity and passion even though they needed one of those little step ladders to get up uh, it was amazing but we said well let's have people minister out of their their giftedness and let, why can't they be in the regular roster and uh, and also there was always a struggle with the kind of I, like the cute factor, like mm. is is this really what it's about? Are we are we are we? Is this like you know the Christmas school project where people just clap and say that was so nice, that that was so cute? And so there was always a struggle there, and a desire to make change. Mm. And after one particular weekend, we kind of looked at each other. The whole team actually said, "Yeah, we need to move ahead with this." So we knew it needed to change, but we didn't do it the best way. No. In fact, I remember as part of that, communicating that change and basically just said, okay, we're not going to do that anymore to the person who was responsible for it. Please let your team know. And uh, if they'd like to get in the roster, we'd love to see that happen. And so can you let them know that that would like to take place? Totally undermining all of the work and the vision that went into doing what they're doing, the teams that were created, the relationships they had, the goals and dreams they had for building into kids and stuff. I didn't acknowledge any of that, and it was so hurtful, not just to the staff person involved, but to their whole team. And uh, I only found that out later on when I had a meeting with a staff person and her key leaders. It was a it was a crucial conversation that I didn't know was going to take place, and I quickly learned that what I had done had caused a lot of pain and a lot of hurt, and I really regretted that. I wished that I would have thought that through better, and uh, and I don't know if you can relate to that as you're listening to this, anything that you might have done with good intentions but had poor impact, but I know that's one that really, uh, I felt the pain of that. I, I think the, you know, in the, in the discussions immediately before we took action, I don't think that staff member had been in those discussions, but that staff member had been present at other discussions that spoke about our desire to move in that direction. So again, often a mistake that can be made is that, well, you know, we talked about that a year ago. Don't you remember? Uh, yeah. Don't you remember? Is it fresh in my mind? How come it's not fresh in your mind? Well, why are you surprised that we just uh, axed your program? <laughs> so it's, uh, but the, the Pro, the oh. thing is that behind every program is people. There, there are people. Yes. And and this is which what is so tricky. See, in the end, if all we're doing, not all we're doing, but if in the church, if we're hurting people all the time, uh, mm. like what are we doing? Like, you know, so we we got to be. We got to be careful. Sometimes, you know, people will will be hurt. You get to try to minimize that, mm-hmm. but. Um, Behind every program, behind every effort, there, there, there's hard work, there's often conviction, and you've got to tread carefully. Mm. Yeah, so it's not the, uh, just to go back to something you'd said, Ron, it, it wasn't that the impact wasn't the right impact, it's that you had unintended casualties, right? Well, the de- like, the you- decision was the right decision, but I think the impact was, yeah, there were casualties involved because it wasn't thought through in a way that would have respected the staff member and her team. And like Father James said, she wasn't brought into that particular conversation. She was just given the decision. And uh, I regret that. And in fact, there were some other changes that came about 
uh, later, a year or two later, something completely unrelated. And because of what I learned from that experience, I realized actually I have to engage that staff member a lot earlier and, and invite them into that process of discernment. And the next change, and it was significant, that we put in place was a hundred times better. Right. And it was very, still hard, because change is hard, and, but it was executed in a way that was more respectful, more kind, more loving, more considerate, and I'm way, I feel a lot better about it because we executed it better. And also coaching that staff member to, to speak into her team and, and communicate the change as well. Yeah, it's not much better, but we've made we've got a we do have a whole catalog of of, of <laughs> re- bl- things that we've done very 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 poorly. We're really quite we're quite so, expert okay, okay. in it. <laughs> Speaking, I, I'd like to, to tap into you as as the particular expert on on messing things up, Father James. Uh, give me another example of perhaps when when uh, when change was brought along that that you know probably wasn't done the best way. Well, this is one of you know before change happens, you've always got to we're going to speak about this in a few moments. You got to talk about the why, right? I always say that the vision comes first, and the the goal of the pastor is to is to communicate vision and to communicate a sense of dissatisfaction of where things are, and to to help people's imaginations open up about what can be when a community says yes to God. And so, for the, my first couple of years here, I was, you know, I, I'm always trying to read books and learn, or when I would be blessed to go to a different conference and, and meet other leaders and listen to them, and and I, of course, I would come back very enthusiastic. And often I was traveling by myself. So, hey, folks, I've read this new book. I've got this. And let's all read the book. And I would just, you know, get the book for everyone. And the staff were like, well, what is this? Like, I, I didn't contextualize it. Now, here's, the, here's the, the funny thing about it. As I was doing this, of course, I had no idea that, that I was causing confusion. Uh, I'll let Ron maybe speak to He was at the other end of it about what he experienced with that. We tried to get his Amazon.com account cancelled so he wouldn't be able to purchase any more books when we weren't looking. Because we really we knew when he'd come back from his conferences that he'd be jacked up about something. We just had no idea what it would be and what impact that might have. And so it seemed like his most his closest confidants were were nowhere near our parish and it felt like change was afoot and we weren't involved with it Mm. and so it felt like how come we're not helping you influence change and understanding where we're going to go it felt like books and other speakers and leaders from far away were having this influence on you but we weren't engaged in the process of discernment and it it was confusing was it at and this frustrating time, though, was too. there a senior leadership at the time uh, no, the no no no, no. So this, 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 this is in the early years and and it wasn't even just a question that i was giving this book out to all the staff or even ministry leads i was buying the 500 <laughs> copies for parishioners <laughs> and talking about it and people are buying it and it was like okay well this is great but uh, where does all this fit how does it fit uh, what are we meant to do with this is this a call to action or is this just to you know generate discussion to open up people's minds well i I didn't provide really any clarity in it at all. And put that in the context of you launching your book, Divine Renovation, which has had a wonderful readership and it continues to grow. And people are reading this just like they're probably feeling the same way some of the staff did years ago. Their pastors got this book. They're jacked about it. How are you? How do you process that in a way if you're motivated to change things? How do you process that in a way that will facilitate the right change with the staff people you have? keeping in mind your most pressing uh, areas of of development that's going to have the biggest impact, 
think that through. That's the facilitating yeah. change piece and that it we doesn't, want you to think through. It doesn't matter whether it's an actual change to a program or introducing new ideas and yes. concepts that may eventually bring about real change. It even introduction of ideas and concepts is change, yes. and that has to be facilitated. So I think there's probably a lot of pastors, a lot of leaders out there that do exactly what you just did, right? I agree. They go away, they get excited, they <laughs> see a talker, you know, whoever, uh, you know, get up on stage, do something awesome. They're like, oh my gosh, I love this. I got to read his book. You read the book on the flight back. When you get back, you go to the local bookstore, you buy six copies, you give it to, you know, the six people that you work with. So and what you're yeah. saying is this perhaps isn't the right approach because there's, there's a few missing ingredients. And I have a feeling there's a few people listening who've probably done this or, or, or are inclined to do yeah. it. Maybe they even came to the Divine Renovation book. Uh, uh, conference, bought a bunch of your books, Father James, <laughs> flew back which, to Which home. is a good thing. I, I always appreciate that. But, but here's the, the, the question is, how can we how can we yes. be better at this? And we're always asking that you? question because yeah. we're going to be brutally honest. We're, we're, we're much better at it than we used to be. And probably as you're listening, you probably think, well, that wasn't, it, was, it wouldn't be too hard to be better uh, <laughs> than what you were. But we've still got lots to learn. Yeah. And, and I just want to just add in a little bit about mm. this, whole, this whole leadership thing, renewal thing. It, it's what's so wonderful. Uh, there's, there's, it's constant learning. Mm. We're always constantly learning because there's so much wisdom on the outside. There, there are wonderful conferences and books and speakers and other churches that you can learn from. But you learn from, you do learn from your own mistakes. Mm. I like to say that the church renewal is like playing, a, you know, one of those video games where you. Like you've got a level to cut to complete, and like you, it takes you the first time it takes you takes you to complete it. You die like thirty times. <laughs> yeah. Well, every time you die, you you learn something. You learn don't go left, mm -hmm. go right, and 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 it's like that too in in life as, as as a whole. But especially in the attempt to renew to to see renewal in our churches is we've got to constantly learn from our mistakes, and mm -hmm. we've got a little bit of learning here. We we still get lots more to learn, but we'd want to share with you how we can be better about this. I think we've got four points, don't we, Ron? We, we, we hammered out. We do. What's the first one, Dan? Well, <laughs> you two are the content experts. I'm just here to make sure you keep talking. Prioritize. 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 Because when, you know, the kind of thing, you read a book, you come from a conference, or, you, or you're just, just inspired to take that first step towards renewal, you look out at your parish, it's like, my goodness, where do we begin? Where do we start? What's the first change I need to make in the midst of so many options. That's a good point because sometimes again, if you're reading a book or going to a conference, we just went to the Global Leadership Summit. It's like drinking from fire hose in terms of leadership and there's probably 50 things I could change, but I have to come back and say, what's the one thing I'm going to implement? What's the most important thing? What's the one thing if we changed it would have the biggest impact on our teams and the the fruit that we're trying to get from our ministries. And that's my responsibility, that's our responsibility as leaders, is to think what's the one thing, not what are the 10 things. And so I would really encourage you to get together with your key people and make a list of all the things that you think would need to change and could be better, and then prioritize. And then gain agreement with your key influencers, your key people, uh, and for us it's our senior leadership team. And then pick the one thing. And then think about, well, what could it look like and how do we get from here to there? How do we facilitate that change? But the first thing is creating a list of priorities, not overwhelming people. Yeah. And it's not necessarily that it, you can only really change one, absolutely That's one true. thing. Okay, so we're going to change one thing and we're not going to start talking about the next one until the other the, the change is complete. No, there's, there's going to be 
cascading rollouts of, of how you, you bring this change. And so as you look ahead at a ministry year, uh, say you've got maybe two, three main changes that you want to introduce in the course of that year, then then but focus on one at a time and, and don't try to do it all at once. So That's I actually thing. feel like the next point comes before the one we've just made. And so like, because I mean, the next point we're going to talk about is really defining the problem. And for me, my mind works like I, I can't deal with priorities until I know the thing I'm trying to change. And I can't address the thing I'm trying to change until I know what the, the problem is. What's the big stinky mm -hmm. fish that needs to be dealt with in the space? Fair enough. And, and I want to talk about that. But I also want to talk about the thing that we have to keep in mind is if we decide hospitality is the biggest thing we need to change, that's one change that's going to bring about a cascade of changes. And so it's one priority that's going to mean loads of changes, if you know yep. what I mean. And yep. so if we said, well, all we need to change is hospitality, catechetics, and alpha, that's only three things. That's probably 4,000 changes in those three yeah. things. And yeah, those, so those are huge. Bear in mind, one change, depending on what you're going to change, might bring about, it might impact loads of people and might require tons I, of little I was, changes. I was speaking with a, with a priest a couple of months ago who had... Uh, be, been you know we've been in conversation with for a while and he was sharing with me that in you know in the next ministry year he was looking forward to um you know boosting the hospitality forming a leadership team rolling out alpha and he was pretty convicted he was going to he was going to revamp catechetics and, and begin to build children's ministry and i'm like what well, i was i remember i was like <laughs> wait 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 he I'm sorry, but you're not going to do all that in in, in the first year. It, it's not going to happen. I said, your focus has got to be on in in, ca in casting vision to your people. You can start executing and all this stuff. You're not going to have anyone behind you. You know, you've you got to start begin to awaken people's hearts, awaken their imagination about what ought to be and 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 what should be to, and to what could be, and and invite them to start dreaming and invite them to to really ask the question: What is God's purpose for our church, for our parish, mm -hmm. and how can we begin to move in that kind of direction? That really is about you know defining the problem and, and creating the desire for the solution. It's that's that's what communicating vision is all about: is creating the desire so that the, eventually people are saying. Well, let's go. Let's go. You know, they don't have to be compelled. Uh, they're actually compelling us to actually lead the change. Uh, yeah. So for me, though, that actually it, it comes first in terms of if, if I were to get excited about the book, like if, if I've flown back home from a conference or if I happen to have, you know, read a book that was really, uh, really exciting. I mean, if I'm going back to my team. What I want to do is I want them to get to see see the problem the way I see it, right? It's not about addressing the priorities of whether hospitality needs to be fixed first or whether it needs to, you know, we need to really get our alpha program going. It's about it's about that vision. It's establishing that that sense of where we're going. Yes. And then we can have a conversation about priorities. But unless I've got buy-in at that level, I mean, I'm, I'm singing to myself. That's true. Because if we don't define the problem, then nobody's going to want the solution. You know, I used to be in pharmaceutical sales, and it'd be really, I'd be really excited about my product. But if I just went in and talked about all the features and benefits of my product, but didn't create, didn't define the problem and gain agreement, then actually I don't provide a solution to anything. <laughs> if they weren't using it before, they certainly aren't going to need it in the future, unless we agree that there's an unmet need. And so we do. We do have to define, well, what is the biggest problem and why? And once we get our heads around it. Then we have to think about, okay, who needs to know and in what order? And, and, I think, when, and when you define the problem, it's very important for us to not uh, directly or definitely directly, but not even indirectly lay blame at anyone's feet. Oh, good point. You know, the reason why we have the problems we do in our church is simply because the world around us has changed. The culture has changed. And while, you know, the essence and substance of our Catholic faith and what the church is about is solid, it does not change, uh, the means... Uh, the, 
by which we communicate the gospel and bring uh, faith to, to this world, the way that we interact with this changing world will, by that very fact, have to change. Yeah. It, it, it must. And so if you're going to blame anyone, it's, it's the, the changing culture. It's the, 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 the rapidity of the change in the culture in the last number of, of decades. So it's very – because otherwise you can, you can, it can be like a judgment. Okay, you're mm. you're judging and blaming uh, the previous priest or the you know the people who used to serve in that ministry. You're doing a bad job, and and that can be disastrous Perfect. if it comes across like that. I think this is the real value of what you were trying to do when you messed up earlier, though. So like when you were coming back and you were throwing books at people, going, "Hey, look, you know these things are awesome." I mean, what what I think you were doing was you're articulating that things could be different, and what we what we were very cautious of when we did DR16 was don't just copy and paste exactly what we're doing. We're living in a certain place with a certain context and a certain people with a certain history, and we're doing some things right, and some of them will translate. Others are not going to translate. Yeah. And I think that's the... You, you've got to awaken... The, I really believe this, that the first step is to awaken people's imagination, to awaken their ability to dream about what could be possible. Now, that, that, that's, a, that's a wide thing, right? You're, you're talking about dreams, and then you've got to get specific. Then you've, you know, strategically with your, with your key leadership, people identify these areas that need to change, and then you've got to drill into them. And, and then, you know, with the big dream in mind, okay... Uh, Let's look into this area and let's talk about why we can't stay where we are. Because if we if we stay where we are right now, extrapolate ten years out, what's going to be happening? Everyone's, you know, begins to shift uncomfortably in their seats, and they, they get it. They know there's a problem, uh, and and so then we talk about, uh, you know, inspiring people in in creating the desire to change. Because the desire to change can't just be motivated by, oh my goodness, uh, I guess I have to change because if we don't, we're going to die. Pope Francis says that in Evangelii Gaudium. He said, I, I dream of a missionary option capable of transforming everything, the church's schedules and vocabulary and language and customs. He says, out of a desire for, for evangelization, not out of a desire for her own self-preservation. Mm-hmm. If self-preservation is her motive, it's ultimately selfish. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's self-centered um, and it's not properly motivated. That's why, I, too, I often try to frame change in, in terms of relationships. Because who do you love, and do they know Christ, and are they in relationship with Christ through this church, and does that bother you? It bothers me. It keeps me up at night, and I think to myself, I dream for a church where people are motivated by their love for Christ and their love for others, and if that motivates our behavior, boy, there's nothing we won't do to become effective. Um, Yeah. So we've defined the problem. We've created desire. We've got. Um, we've prioritized. So how else ought we go about facilitating change? What other tips do we have to make that go well? Well, it's communication is absolutely essential. So when you've got actually in the guidebook in the in the exercises around uh, that's the pl- divine renovation guide. Sorry, the divine, Re- Father divine James renovation Mallon. guidebook. <laughs> in just, the everyone's just going to assume it's the guidebook. Capital T. In, in the. the in the, in the, there's a whole uh, chapter in there around around uh, planning around fa- around facilitating change and setting goals. But with every every planning exercise for for goals, there's a there is also a planning guide for you know to to plan your communications, make a communications plan, uh, and and so if you because if you don't communicate this well. Uh, it can be disastrous. And communications isn't just putting it in the newsletter or the bulletin or in a bulletin board. That that no, it, it it's it's about it's about winning people over again, uh, creating the desire for change. So, just to give you an example, 
you've got to communicate the desire, the change process in a sense from the top down. And then when you come to rolling it out, you got to go in a sense, you got to start from the bottom up. That makes sense. It probably doesn't make any sense, does it? What do we, what, well, your hand what, gestures really were compelling. <laughs> <laughs> that might not have translated. What do I mean by that? Okay, so how would the beginning of a change? Often it might be in a conversation between myself and another member of our of our leadership team that something will be flagged. Uh, so kind of in a sense at the top, and then it'll come to the senior leadership team. We'll talk about it. We'll get a sense. This really is something that 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 ought to change. Now we, in our present parish structure our our pastoral council really deals with with five-year planning is much bigger picture so they wouldn't necessarily have to be involved in this so so from from the senior leadership team we would say then okay if we're convicted that we have to go forward with this change the next level of communication is we go to our our, our staff teams so that all of the staff now are informed and then from there preferably we will then wait until we have a leadership summit when we have all of our ministry leads and our key lay leaders in ministry together. And so we'll ministry summit, just so uh, the context, ministry summits when you bring all those leaders together yep. in person. And we'll communicate it to them. And then it's going to be communicated to the, the parish at large, uh, either in, probably multiple different ways in, in writing, uh, through, through homilies, you know, so when, so that's what I mean by top down. What do I mean from bottom up? Well, once you've you've got that communication cascade going, uh, then as you move towards actual execution, then then from the bottom up, you're starting with preaching at the ground level on on a weekend, and then you start working with the actual ministry team and leaders involved, uh, communicating with, with with parents or wh- whoever else is involved who would be affected by 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 this change. Um, so you you go from wide to narrow in a sense, but rolling out even the, the discussion around what why why are we changing it and, and, and should we change it, you're starting from narrow to wide. A great example of that, Father James, will, would be what we're going to be communicating around our vision for families and, yes. and youth. And so you're going to be doing a preaching series uh, coming up in the, in the fall here to, to do that very thing, to exactly. work from the ground up, and then we're going to have to work to, to implement it. Yeah, to implement but, but, the but change. Here's the yeah. thing, that this, this idea for changing this really started about two years ago. Yes. And it's been very gradual. We've been working at it slowly and and it's been it's been it's been a much slower rollout uh, rollout. But you know, I, I'm saying this and at the same time I think back in this past year there's been I mean not necessarily with big huge changes, but with smaller changes there's been countless times we've still messed it up. It's like oh, I forgot to tell that we forgot to tell the staff. You know, we're we're somehow an- announcing to ministry leaders before the staff. And, I know. And see, when that happens, it, it creates distrust. It creates hurt. And you know, objectively speaking, of itself in isolation is not a big deal, but. In another sense, it's a huge deal. Yeah, because sometimes it creates work and questions for staff members, and they didn't even know it was. They didn't even see it coming. And for whatever reason, it's counterintuitive. We have to stop and make ourselves think about this stuff because it's not what comes natural to us for some reason. No, and and you got so you got to be very intentional. Okay, so if we make a decision at our senior leadership team, then each person has go and speak to their teams about it, and then they've got to speak to their key people about it who are directly involved in leading the ministries before we make an announcement. In the newsletter on 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 the on the, on the weekend, uh, that's just about respecting people. Yes. And we've learned the hard way. And we, I, <laughs> I've had to. I think in the last year twice, had to go around to every single staff member and apologize 
for, for messing this up. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, the fact that a staff member is leaving or moving or, or shifting or, or someone new is coming on to staff or whatever. Like when the parishioners are finding out at this, when the staff are finding out at the same time as the parishioners, that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, we continue to learn from our mistakes as we go. <laughs> uh, so once you've done it that way, and if you've got it right, mm-hmm. you know, you've gone top down, you've gone bottom up, everyone's going to be happy with the outcome, right? No, that's that doesn't work. That doesn't happen in this the side of heaven. <laughs> uh, there's no such thing as everyone happy with with the change. There will always be, be be some people who will not be happy with it. There'll be people who are who are unhappy, and and if there's trust with the leadership, mm. they're willing to to go along with it. They're willing to trust to say, I don't, okay, I don't get it, I don't like it, but I'm going to trust you. However, if that trust is not there then then people are mm. likely to become less engaged uh and when parishioners become unengaged when they go from being you know disengaged to actively i uh, sorry unengaged to actively disengaged then people begin to to grumble and complain and gossip and whisper and and that's a very dangerous thing and then sometimes some change will always mean that the, there will be people who will leave and the bigger the church you have the more that, that people will just leave uh, because the social cohesion isn't as tight. Uh, there's always a danger that people will leave. Here's the difference between people leaving a big church. People, more, people, more people will leave without you knowing that they're leaving. And the overall impact won't be that big a deal. In a smaller church, the social cohesion is stronger. So people are less likely to leave over this. doesn't mean that they won't. But when they do leave, it can be devastating. Mm-hmm. Because there's less people in the church, and, and when, when certain people leave, uh, it, it's felt much more dramatically. So, depending on the size of your church, you've, you've got to. You've just made me not to want to implement any change ever. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've put put fear into me, Father James. <laughs> Stay I, the same, Dan. <laughs> I just think you know. I think back to you know Ephesians chapter six. It talks about you know the, the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, and getting equipped. You know with the panoply of war like like th- there is a battle you know a, a spiritual battle a, a human battle like it, it's not it's not for the faint of heart like yeah i mean mm-hmm. why, why does jesus repeatedly say do not be afraid uh, i mean th- th- we often interpret those words as applying to you know the ups and downs of life and all this but but i think those are especially spoken to people in leadership especially today because these are difficult times especially when you you know this change that you introduce that you have absolute conviction that this is the right thing is definitely going to work. And I'd say that that's probably the majority of the change that, that, that we've tried to bring in. But i got to be honest that there's some things that we've changed where we're like, we, we don't have certainty that this is the absolute best thing. And we're not sure it's going to work because we're taking a risk. But sometimes that's motivated because we know it doesn't work. <laughs> Right, because we're not exactly. getting results. Exactly. <laughs> I've said to people, I've got one conviction. It's 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 going to be better than what we had. It might not be perfect, <laughs> but it's not going to be as bad as what we had. <laughs> and that's already a win. So, but but is it is a risk because the, you know you're, you're kind of um, putting yourself out there. You're asking people to trust you. You're and yeah. and and what if it what if it doesn't work? And so so it, it certainly takes quite a bit of courage. That's why you need the buy-in from people, from the majority of people, because otherwise people just stand up afterwards and say, I told you so. 
And that's why, too, and to summarize it, too, I think that's why people need to understand the need for it. Like, if we're changing, why are we changing? Why does it make sense? They have to understand the problem so that they can come on board. And once they come on board, if they know our intent and know our heart, we know what success looks like. We're defining what we're trying, where we're trying to go and why we're trying to get there. If we don't get there, then we change what we're doing. We change again because we got to stay focused on the results but of what, the fruit. What would you say? What would you say to a pastor, priest, a senior leadership team somewhere mm-hmm. who you know they're just they're absolutely certain that they've got the right method, they've got the thing down, right? Like no, that, what we're doing is the right thing. It might not be getting the results yet, but no, no, we're we're, not, we're committed to being where we're at. What would you say to a person like that? Well, I would say, why are you committed to being where you're at if you're not yeah. getting results? Yeah, and, 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 and Music's a perfect example, right? Well, we, should, like, but we should never commit to being where we are. That, that, that's a commitment to status quo. That's a commitment, I've come this far and I ain't going any further, right? The commitment should be to the direction in which you're moving, not to the place you currently are. You know, have you ever seen, have you ever been in a situation where you're, 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 you're doing something that's hard work and you turn to, your, to whoever's beside you and you say, Remind me why we're doing this again. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> like, true. why are we doing this? And here's the thing, that you can do a perfect rollout. You can communicate, you can cascade your communications, you can notify all the people, you can communicate it passionately with conviction and stir up the, a buy-in and, and be enthusiastic. You can do it all right. But when you begin to execute it, at different times you're going to turn around and say, why are we doing this again? Because you have to go back to the why all the time, the Amen. why, the why, the why, the why. And sometimes when we come to to communicate change, we, we simply talk about the what. We talk about, this is what we're going to change. Uh, and, oh, the why? Well, I told you that last year. But no, the, the, the most important piece of communication is the why. Amen. And the why has always got to boil down to being about people. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for the opportunity to have a conversation on facilitating change. Father James, if they want to find more of you, people want to find more of you, where should they hunt you down? Um, frjamesmallon.com, uh, divinerenovation.net is a, is a portal, and uh, my Twitter handle is at fjmallon. Also, Divine Renovation, the book, Divine Renovation Guidebook, and I'm sure they can catch you on EWTN. There's usually something related to you on on broadcast, <laughs> their grandparents cross-training. He's getting all blushy over there. It's very amusing. And Ron Huntley, if people are going to find some more of you in their lives, where should they look for you? Under a rock. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at Ron underscore Huntley. Ron underscore Huntley. This not, is usually where, not his middle name. This is where I was going to say. This is where Father James rolls out the old joke that his middle name is underscore. But this is how things go for the team at Divine Renovation. Uh, you can find more of us at divinerenovation.net. Uh, we've been blessed by so many people reaching out to us. We've got resources up on divinerenovation.net. I encourage you to check those out. We've got this podcast, another podcast, the various books that we've got out. And if you want to do us a favor, if we could ask for one small favor, it would be to go to iTunes and, and you know, review this podcast. Give us one of those clicks on one of those yeah, stars. That would help get this podcast out to more people. Uh, I don't understand the, the, the crazy machinations that happen in iTunes, but I understand that when that happens, we'll reach even more people. We've already blessed to be out in many, many countries around the world with lots of weekly listeners. Can I ask for one more favor, folks? I, I know, this I is, we I know that this is your shtick. I said one favor. Now you're loading up the favor. No, people want, can, can I just ask people to pray for us? Yes, because this is it's not we we want to be about the best human practices and, and leadership stuff and, and all of this stuff. But it, but but we need prayer support. We need your intercession. You know, we're sometimes I feel like we're kind of crazy for trying to step into this and trying to make some kind of difference. But if you're listening and this is speaking to your mind, to your heart, um, please pray for us. Hold, hold us up in prayer and uh, blessings to all of you out there.
Amen. So iTunes, uh, you can tweet FJ Mallon at FJ Mallon on Twitter and let him have a new closing joke. That would be appreciated by the rest of the team. And uh, we welcome and appreciate your prayers. Thank you so much. And we look forward to talking to you again next time.